we are making wonderful progress through the opening chapter of the Tomer Devora. If you're following along in the Hebrew, we're on the uh, next to last page of this packet, which is uh, has a ku- Hebrew letters kufchet on the top of the top right hand corner of the page. If you're in the English, we're going to be on the side that says uh, um, is page 65 at the bottom. And we'll probably actually do uh, get through most, if not all, of 66, depending on how uh, how speedily we can move through. Because these are really, even though they're two separate subcategories, they're really I think are meant to exist as a unit. If you recall, what Cordovero has been doing is uh, essentially an extended midrash, an extended interpretation of uh, a verse from Micah that outline uh, 13 attributes of God's compassion. And one of the lines in that is Titan Emet Liakov Chesed Abraham. God gives uh, truth or faithfulness to Jacob uh, and compassion or uh, mercy or kindness to Abraham. Truth to Jacob and kindness to Abraham. And one of the things that, uh, that there are several questions that those, uh, that, that verse raises, um, which is why I think it's worth looking at them as a unit. First is, why is Jacob mentioned first and Abraham second? Right, where you would think it would be listed in chronological order, um, and there's a, a concept in the tradition that there's Yiridat uh, Hadorot, Right, that, uh, that that each generation is just like a, li- a notch below the last generation. So you would think that the kindness of, uh, of, of Abraham would precede the truth of Jacob, but the verse puts Jacob before Abraham. And the other question is one that Ralph asks me on nearly a daily basis, which is why is Isaac not mentioned in this verse? It's an, uh, an extraordinary question, and hopefully we'll have a chance to, to address that briefly. But we'll start with the first one, which is Titan Emmet Liakov, the bottom of page 65 in the English, the middle of page Kufchet in the Hebrew. Mida Zohi, Shiyesh Liisrael Ma'ala. So this virtue means that Israel, right, the reason it uses the word Jacob and not the, the name Jacob and not the word Israel is because Israel signifies a higher virtue, a more supernal virtue. Otam habenonim. But Jacob signifies the people who are in the middle. She'enam yodim lifnim People who don't know how to act outside or beyond the letter of the law. And so there's this concept in the Jewish tradition that there are people who are wicked, who don't follow the Torah at all. Right? And then there are people who are exceptionally righteous, who not only follow all the dictates of the Torah, but go beyond the, what the law requires. Right? So the law might require you give you know, a tenth of your uh, a, excuse, yeah, a tenth of your, of your money to tzedakah, right? And a righteous person will give 20% of their money to tzedakah, and that's lifni mishoradim, beyond what the law requires. And so he's saying that most people, if they are anything at all, right, if they are any kind of anywhere on the righteousness spectrum at all, are the benonim, are the people who, just for whom observing the law is hard enough. Vehem nikra'im Yaakov, and those are the people that are called Jacob. Those are the people called by the name of our father Jacob. Because they only act with a truthful disposition. Right? Truthful in this case means, I think, faithful. 
right? Faithful to the to the to the path that's been very concretely and consciously outlined for them, right? And and that's I think the Hebrew word for truth. Uh, someone once taught me this, and I can't remember. I, I have no one to quote it in the name of, although it's not in the name of me. You just have to know that um, that emet is an interesting word in Hebrew because what it has in it is um, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet aleph, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet taf, and the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet mem. Right, all of them in sequence. So you have the first, middle, and last all together, and what it signifies, truth, is balance. Right, that uh, that the that the marker of truth is balance. The marker of truth is forging the middle path, as Rambam, as Maimonides calls it, the mida benonit. Right, the, uh, the 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 golden mean, the golden virtue of not not veering too hard to the right, not veering too hard to the left, just kind of sticking on that narrow middle path lane. So that that is um, what most people do, and that they merit the name Jacob, because that signifies this virtue of of adhering to, to faithfulness, adhering to truth. Right. Similarly, God has that same virtue of truth, and that's that shouldn't come as a surprise to me. There's this very famous statement in the Talmud that Shel Hakadosh Baruch Emet that the seal, the the signifier of the Holy One is truth. Right. That you can recognize God in the world through truth. Right. Um, which opens up to it, I think, all sorts of questions about how we approach our tradition, how we approach uh, the role of science in the world, and all these different things, right? If something is true, it is inherently holy, right? It is inherently infused with the divine because God is nothing if not the epitome of truthfulness, right? So, which means that there are certain truths about our world that are often denied in the name of uh, certain facets of religion, right? And the idea that that one of God's defining characteristics is truth means that that is in fact religious heresy. Shehu al-tzad mitziut ha-mishpat right? This means that God is on the side of, um, of, of ju- just reality and upright reality. Ve'elu ha-mit na-hagim ba'olam and those people that act in the world with uprightness, act in the world with this sort of middle virtue of truthfulness, then God treats them with emet. God treats them with truthfulness. And is compassionate for them uh, toward the side of uprightness and justice. Meaning to say that for those people who struggle just to stay on that middle path, those people who struggle just to just to keep the Torah, you know, uh, not beyond the letter of the law, but just the letter of the law, right? God accords them with compassion, treats them, as it were, as if they had gone beyond the letter of the law, right? So people who who strive just for that middle path, God kind of tips the scale in the direction and looks at them as if they had excelled beyond that. Gam ken, Right? Similarly, that's how we should treat our fellow human beings. We shouldn't pervert the justice of our friend. Rather, we should be compassionate for our friend in truth, our fellow in truth. 
right? In the same way that God is compassionate to uh, to all of God's creations who are on this middle path with a virtue with an attribute of truthfulness, and helps to fix them, helps to repair them. So why does it limit truth and brightness to to the neighbor? Why is that limitation there? Why not to everyone? Mm. It's a good question. I, I mean, there are two ways I could look at it. One is that neighbor here is uh, means everyone, right? It doesn't literally mean just the person living next door to you, but it means anybody who you happen to encounter. Um, the other is that on some level, it's much harder to deal in this very compassionate and kind sort of way with the person who lives next door to you than it is for someone who lives halfway around the world. It's much easier to love someone who is a victim of genocide in Darfur than it is to love the person down the street who keeps on, um, uh, you know, playing loud music at night and um, and throwing their trash on your lawn, right? that's not to say that it's easier to help the people in Darfur. That you know, often we take that as a um, as a as an excuse. Though they're halfway around the world, we don't have to help them. We can just love them, right? But on some level, your neighbor is actually the hardest person to love, right? Your family, the people who are closest to you, is actually are actually on some level the hardest people to love because you know them the most. You're around them the most. I always say that to to my wife. I say, you know, when. when Actually, she says it to me more often than not, um, which is, <laughs> I was trying to have the power position there, but that's really not true. She says to me, when she's angry with me, she says, she says, I really don't like you. I love you, but I really don't like you, right? Which I think really signifies it, right? So there's, a, there's always this underlying level of love, but because you're around them all the time and you have conflict, right, it's, it's easy not to like. So I think that that's one of the reasons that it talks about neighbor here. And I just want to uh, go into this Abraham thing really quickly in the couple minutes we have left. So if you are, um, are in English, we, I don't have all the English copied here, but it, uh, hopefully you'll be able to kind of get the gist of it. Okay, so the idea that we give compassion to Abraham or mercy to Abraham refers to those who act in the world beyond the letter of the law. Beyond the, what the law requires, to Abraham Avinu, the way that Abraham our father did. And therefore, God also treats them beyond what the law would require. Right? God treats them with a kindness beyond what is required of God. Right? God only uh, upholds uh, judgment on them. Um, God only holds uh, judgment on them, but not, but not, uh, um, uh, but not strictly. Rather, God enters with them beyond what is upright, beyond what is required. Right? So God doesn't treat those people with strict justice. God enters into this other compassionate realm with those people who because of their own righteousness, because of their own sense of compassion, because of their own sense of, of, of love and mercy, act beyond what the law requires of them. right? The same way that they act. And that is what kindness to Abraham means. God acts with a 
kind disposition, with the virtue of compassion to those who are like Abraham and how they act. Gam ha'adam, in the same way in the human realm. Im heyot she'im kol adam yem inaheg betzedek v'yoshar If it were that every person would act with righteousness and uprightness and justice, im ha'tovim v'alchasidin tiyeh hanhagato lifnim mishuradadin. If good people and kind people would behave beyond the what the law requires. And if to other people you're a little bit more patient, yoter Yes. There are a few ways I could think of answering that question. Those people, there are people who believe that glot kosher is the letter of the law. Glot right? um, kosher, by the way, for those who don't know, refers to a, uh, a, a specific kind of quality of the lungs of a, a kosher a slaughtered animal, uh, which uh, is doesn't seem to be required by the strict dictates of the law, although there are some who who believe that it is. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how to answer the question. Um, uh, my my sense is to say maybe, right? But it's not limited to that, right? Acting beyond the letter of the law doesn't mean in one instance, in one particular area, you're acting beyond the letter of the law. It means as a way of being in the world, you go beyond what's required of you, right? And, um, and I think that he's talking here, especially in the realm of interpersonal commandments, right? So you go beyond what the law requires in your relationship with human beings, right? So a, a, a big area of this is in business ethics, Right, this idea of going beyond what the law requires, because the law only requires, for example, um, to Rabbi Stein taught this the other day, to uh, to pay your workers according to uh, what the what's customary in the place you happen to be. That's what the law requires. It could be that in the place you happen to be, what is customary is not very much pay for workers. Right, so. Um, so it's called midat chasidut, the a virtue of piety, to go beyond what the law requires and pay your workers more. Right? Um, so I think that that's really the realm that he's thinking of here, although he might be talking about that realm as well. And you should be compassionate to those people who are really trying. You may not be quite there, but you can work with them, you can be with them, you can walk with them as you, as you yourself act beyond what the law requires and help inspire other people to bring them into a place where they're ready to do what beyond what the law requires. And so that means that people need to be very important to you. And what that means is that you need to actually really care about the well-being of other people, not just their physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being as well. 
right? Which I think is really the, the virtue of Abraham, right? Abraham, the classical story about Abraham, the two real classical stories about Abraham um, uh, with regard to this are how he treats the guests who later turn out to be angels, right, who appear at his tent, and how he advocates for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That, uh, that Abraham, to, to Abraham, every life is important. To Abraham, every person is important. And he's prepared to walk with them to help them ad- adopt the virtues that he has in his life. The chavivim lo, and they should be dear to him. People, you should bring in those kind of people into your circle of friends. You should bring people who you're trying to look out for their spiritual well-being into your circle of friends. I just want to uh, point out a couple of uh, things. So, uh, to Ralph's question about why um, Isaac isn't mentioned here. There are two answers, and and these I found in in the footnote in the Hebrew, um, so you can look at that at your leisure, but I'll just summarize them really quickly. Um, The first is that in the Kabbalistic tradition, Isaac signifies God's judgment, God's power. And what what, what Cordovero is arguing for here is... Um, a way of relating to God and therefore relating to each other that relies on an, uh, an awareness of God's compassion triumphing over God's justice. Right? Um, that God treats us not with the not with the letter of the law. God treats us not as um, not as we might deserve if you were to put all our actions on a balance sheet, but rather God re- treats us compassionately. And right? so, if Isaac were in this picture, right, you would have to address the virtue that Isaac symbolizes, which is God's strict justice, God's strict judgment. And so Micah and Cordovero leaves out talking about Isaac because it doesn't want to address at this moment God's justice. But um, another issue which I, which I found to be on some level kind of problematic, but on some level really beautiful, uh, is that, uh, that uh, we have this idea in the Jewish tradition called schut avot. We'll, we'll uh, recall that a lot over Rosh Hashanah, especially in the uh, section of the Amida called Zichronot, where we recall God's relationship with our ancestors and hope that the merit of God, uh, God's relationship with our ancestors will work in our favor. And what the, uh, what the footnote here says is that if, God, if, if we were to recall Isaac here, there would be so much merit from our ancestors at this moment that there would be no merit left for any other people on earth beside the Jewish people. So what the prophet does is leaves out one of the forefathers, leaves out Isaac, so that there is room for God to act in this way, with this kind of compassion, with this kind of truthfulness, with this kind of love, not only to the Jewish people, but also to all the people in the world. And I think that that's an incredible idea to bring up on Rosh Hashanah, because Rosh Hashanah, after all, is not the, not, the birthday of the world was a few days ago in the Jewish tradition. Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of humanity. And what that means is the birthday of all humanity, not just Jewish humanity. And we get very, I think, myopic in our Rosh Hashanah um, experience, where we, where we, it's a very particular Jewish thing. Um, but it's also worth us realizing that this is not just the birthday of the Jewish people, 
that comes later. This is the birthday of all of humanity, which means that a part of our tshuva, part of our work on the high holidays, is to open up our perspective, is to open up our view, and to say, not only how can I uh, change in ways that will better myself, not only ways can I, what ways can I change and help my community change in ways that will better the Jewish people, but also what can I, what can the Jewish people do differently to help better the world, to help better the lot of all humanity. And with that, I'll wish you a Shana Tova Metuka, a happy and sweet new year.